our good and our holy God. We thank you for the privilege that you have given us today to worship. We thank you, Lord, for the familiar sights and sounds of the season. And the reminders that you are Emmanuel, that you are with us. And God, we're grateful for the rich promise of your word that you will never leave us. You will not forsake us, your people. Lord, we pray in a, in a very special way that you would manifest your presence in our lives over the next few days. Lord, that you would do something in our life this Christmas season that would, that would make us more like Christ. That you would speak to us, that you would call us, that you would shape us and mold us, you would correct us and encourage us. Lord, as we lay our lives before you, we're grateful for the chance that we've had to pray today and give and to greet others to sing. And God, we thank you for your word. As we open the scriptures together, Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see clearly and ears to hear. We pray that you would give us tender hearts that would receive your word like seed planted in fertile soil. God, we pray that you would give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will, that you'd give us hands that are strong for service in this world, that, that our deeds would be as your very own. And God, we pray that a word of life and hope would be found on our lips. This is our prayer in the strong name of Jesus. And we pray together saying, amen. amen. Friends, please be seated and find your Bibles we have already heard today's passage read from Matthew chapter 1, uh, but we'll be walking through that text today beginning in verse 18 in just a few moments. So Matthew chapter 1, today's focal text, verses 18 to 25. We have come to the fourth week of Advent. I, I really can't believe it. It seems like this year in some ways has been grinding on and in some ways it's gone at the speed of light. But we're here at Christmas week, uh, this fourth week of Advent. We've journeyed together uh, and we've heard the scriptures call us to hope and to peace and to joy. And today, our focus is love. The text that was read earlier is a text of love. It's a text of a father's love. And it's a text about the love of God, our father. Matthew wrote it to share the reason for the hope that was in his own life and to strengthen a, an early church and, and, to, and to share the gospel with those who had not yet confessed their faith and followed Jesus. Uh, he wrote the greatest story ever, and it began here in chapter 1. The verses that we've heard this morning, uh, they represent five movements, five, five units of thought that begin the beginning of the greatest story, the story of Jesus, the story of Emmanuel, the story of God, your story, the story of salvation. For a few moments this morning, I want to linger over Matthew's thoughts. I, I want to spend some time uh, with these verses of Scripture with, with you. And as we do, I want you to look. I want you to look for the love of God that rings true and loudly in the verses that follow. 
The first movement is the opening line, uh, which is verse 18. This is the opening line after the genealogy, which is to say, this is the opening line. Now, I don't want to offend you, those of you who are writing commentaries on the Gospel of Matthew. I've read them. They were fantastic, and there's a lot to learn from this genealogy. I also don't want to offend the shade tree budding genealogists that we have in our room when we have a number of them, and I see the chief among them, Norman Canada. I mean, genealogies are great, and we have a lot to learn from them, uh, but I know how you read the Bible. And most of you, when you come to the genealogies, you go, and you run right past it. Some of you are committing already to to read the Bible through next year, Uh, and you'll start that on January 1 with great commitment and passion, and right as you start to lull through it, right as your, your passion starts to fade, you will discover in the Old Testament large sections of genealogies, and you'll go and you'll feel like you're getting caught up. Uh, reading through genealogies in the Old Testament is kind of like driving in West Texas. You know, they post 80 on the signs. It's kind of like the redneck Audubon, man. You can just get out there and fly. And that's what reading genealogies in the Bible are for a lot of you. Uh, but they're great. Go back and, and spend some time with that study Bible I've encouraged you to buy. Go through the genealogy. But the first line after the genealogy, hey, that's really the first line, right? If we're honest and true about it, it's right there. And verse 18 is that first line. And it's, it's a doozy of an opener. I tell you, uh, they, they tell you when you're learning to write or you're learning to speak that the opener is of vital importance. Some of you know that I took my first uh, public speaking class. Some of you are like, I didn't know he had one. He should get his money back. <laughs> get his money back on that. My first public speaking class was after uh, my senior year of high school in the summertime at the community college in, in town. A motley crew gathered in, in that community college for our, it was eager beavers, you know, ready to get ahead of the game. Uh, and people in, in the night class at the community college turned on how to speak because uh, their boss told them they had to go. You know, one of those guys was a guy named Braun. Uh, he was a nervous guy and, and public speaking, it petrified him petrified him. Uh, And he was also, because his last name started with the capital letter B, the first to deliver a speech in class. Well, our professor told us that the opening line has got to be really strong, and it's got to grab people's attention. Uh, And so Braun just stood there, white knuckle, gripping the lectern. He picked it up. He slammed it into his forehead twice. He set it back down. He said, be quiet and listen to me. (laughs) And we all focused our gaze on Braun, and he delivered his speech. Not exactly what the professor had in mind, but it was effective, and it, it got all of our attention. It was far stronger than that very famous opening line of Lytton, uh, it was a dark and stormy night. The opening of Matthew's gospel is not a, it's a dark and stormy night line. It's more of a be quiet and listen to me line. It's a line that, that uses an economy of words, but, but packed with implications. Let's hear that line again. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a way to start out. A couple of things to keep in mind here. We have to understand something of the, of the betrothal relationship that Mary and Joseph were in. 
It's a very different deal than, than how we do it now. Uh, Mary, there were three phases to it. The first phase, the families had to agree upon the union. It was kind of like a committee meeting, you know. You had, you had the families come together, and they're talking it out. You know, it's like trading baseball cards, maybe. They, they come up with an agreement that, yes, this works for both of us. We agree to this relationship. That's the first phase. And Mary and Joseph had clearly been through that first phase, agreed upon by the families, all's good. The second phase could last a year. Uh, you, are, you are together as far as the eyes of the community. You are bonded together. It's a serious relationship uh, with, the, with the exclusion. You're not living together, and you're not living as husband and wife. But it was stronger than courtship. It was stronger than dating at, at a Christian college in your sophomore year uh, where, where someone says to another, uh, I believe God has led us together. Only six months later when the girl says, I believe God has called me to focus on my relationship with God and not you. And the boy's all upset about it, and you find out that God had led her to a much more handsome young man. Uh, I mean, you can just get in and out of these kind of things as we're courting today. It wasn't like that in Joseph and Mary's day. In Joseph and Mary's day, during this year, this, this committed and celibate year during this year to break off this relationship required a divorce. I mean, it was a big issue. It, it was uh, the, the dissolution of the marriage before it really got started good, but it was looked at with that degree of seriousness. And, and that, uh, Matthew says, is where they were. That, that was the phase of where they were. And then he says... During this year, one of the greatest sort of understated sentences in the history of sentences, he said, during this time, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Wow. You, you've seen the greatest Christmas pageant ever. There's an argument because one of the kids uh, is hearing this story and says, well, she was pregnant. He said, well, we ought not say that she was pregnant. We should say, like the Bible says, that she was great with child. She was great with child, and that meant she was pregnant. And the explanation given was she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience. He's, he's writing to convince committed Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah. He, he's, he's writing to shore up Jewish believers' con conviction and passion that Jesus is the Messiah. And, and when these words fell on the ears uh, and, and fell on the eyes of a Jewish audience, it wasn't as wild as you might think. Because they go back into their, their salvation history. They go back into the covenant story of their people. And they realize that at critical junctures all along the way, there were need uh, for, for God to overcome lifelessness with life. The announcement of Jesus' birth and life was the end of a series of miraculous conceptions. Boldly proclaiming, boldly saying that what God is doing in your midst is beyond your ordering and your doing and your ability and your power. And those Jewish followers of Christ would have been reminded of their own story of faith and how the very father of the faith and mother of the faith 
had to have God intervene for life to overcome lifelessness. So Matthew takes pen in hand and he just tells the story without the need to build scaffolding under it. He doesn't have to make an argument. He doesn't have to tell you why because this is part of a story already being told that God, that God is coming among us. Friends, I think you would agree with me. That's a fascinating opening line. It says at the outset, shh, shh, be quiet. Be quiet and listen to me. And the words that follow, the story that follows, paint a picture in Matthew's gospel of the love of a courageous man who found his strength in God and the love of God himself. The second movement is verse 19. Uh, we might call this movement Joseph's decision. Listen to this, this word. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Oh, this picture of Joseph and his character. You see here Joseph described as a righteous man, or a holy man, or a just man. It didn't mean that Joseph was perfect morally or ethically. He was a man of flesh and bone, as you are people of flesh and bone. It did mean, however, that he was godly. It meant that he had a heart that was tuned and turned toward God. It meant that his life had been conditioned and shaped by a faithful observance as a person, as a person who wanted to please his creator, his God, with all of his heart and soul and mind and body. Joseph was a man who loved God, that was loved by God and knew it, and he was a man who wanted to do right in relation to God. He wanted to live for God's glory. He was a godly man. He was a just man. And when he was confronted with this challenge, it seems clear from verse 19, he did not believe her story. If you read books, if you read literature, if you read the newspaper... You would walk away from reading verse 19 thinking he did not buy it. He believed in the deep places of his life that she had been unfaithful to him. As a just man, he did not believe it would be appropriate for him to marry her. He didn't think it was right to, to, to go on with this, with this charade. He, or he didn't think it was right to lie and say that the child was his when it was not. He felt because he was a just man that he had to separate himself from this relationship. But because he was God's kind of just man, he was so kind. Joseph wanted to do the right thing, and just as importantly, he wanted to do the right thing in the right way. When you go back to the pages of, of Deuteronomy, you learn in chapter 22, 23, and 24 that when someone in this betrothal season was found to be unfaithful, that you were to take the woman and find the accomplice, and you were to take them to the city and kill them. 
Now, that would have probably been difficult. They were not a theocracy. They were living under the boot of Roman oppression. They probably wouldn't have been able to get away with this lynching. But at least you have in the mindset of the community what people believed was appropriate and right. Joseph, the just, the godly, he wanted to do the right thing, but he wanted to do it in the right way, and he wanted to be quiet. He wanted her to the best of the ability to save face. He wanted to be gentle. He wanted to do the right thing, but he didn't want to do it with fanfare and trumpets. He didn't want to want to publish it for all to read and see and hear. We learned so much about Joseph here. He could have turned this situation into one of those bad country songs, one of those songs of wrong and vengeance. When I was in high school, they used to show a video about what happens when you play Led Zeppelin albums backwards, you know, and it was supposed to be the devil talking to you. They say when you play country music backwards, you get your dog back and your wife back and your truck back and, and all that kind of stuff. He could have turned this situation into one of those things, but he did not. And we see this call in his life beginning in verses 20 and 21. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for what was conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. While he thought about these things. Boy, economy of words. While he agonized about all of this. While he was losing sleep over all this. While his friends were saying, Joseph, you don't look so good. Are you okay? Over all this. There was one night of thinking about these things to where he just, he just couldn't stay awake anymore. He didn't want to sleep. He didn't want to be awake. He was in that odd in-between place of anguish. And one night as he was thinking on these things... His body just gave out. That bag of water and bones just crumpled in a place of sleep, and he fell asleep. He had thought all he could think, and he fell asleep. And in that place of involuntary surrender, in that place where he had pushed past what he was able to do in his own strength, strength. God, in a surprising way, sent a messenger to speak to him. And what did he say? Same words Mary heard in another gospel. Don't be afraid. From your name on the front to the maps at the end, that phrase appears again and again and again and again in Scripture. Spoken to people that God had called to a, a, a work, to a life, 
to a contrasting experience in a world gone mad. Uh, uh, people call to, to follow him and serve him. Uh, we run into all kinds of challenges, don't we? And again and again and again, God says, don't be afraid. Don't be scared. And to Joseph, God says, do not be afraid. She will bring forth a son. This is a word of prophecy for Joseph. They had no amniocentesis. They had, they had no ultrasound. You just had to take an angel's word for about eight months or so. She will bring forth a son. And get this. And what? And you. You will name him Jesus. I'm a conservative, Protestant, evangelical person. Most of the time when we come to, to Christmas and we talk about Joseph, we emphasize to the nth degree the fact that Joseph was not Jesus' father. Okay, fine. I full well affirm the virgin conception of Jesus. But let me tell you what. Joseph was the daddy of Jesus of Nazareth. You have this dual paternity, if you will, but the reality is, he said, you're going to name that boy. And what the angel of God meant is, you, you Joseph, this carpenter with royal blood in your veins, you you, this man living in this backwater town, in this little place with a Roman boot on your neck, you, you're going to name him. That means you're going to be his father. You're going to claim him. You're going to love him. You're going to raise him. You're going to walk with him until you die. You're going to name him. And you're going to name him Jesus. It's a variant of the name Joshua, one of the top ten common names during Jesus' uh, time. It's about the salvation of God, and, and you do have the image of, of the powerful Joshua. He said, you're going to name him Jesus. And here's the surprising thing. Here's the plot twist. Because he will save his people. Maybe Joseph at that moment thought, I get to ride into town with my boy, the Messiah, after we win. God selected Joseph just as much as he selected Mary. A just man, a good man. He wanted to do the right thing in the right ways. He said, you will name him Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. Not from the Romans, but from ourselves, he came to save us. He came to save us from us. And to bring us back to God. What a call. What a call. We pick up the story, verse 22, and this is how it ends. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, 
which is translated God with us. This is a little commentary here. This is about the, the nature of the Savior, the one who had came to redeem us from our sins. He is God with us, Emmanuel, the God who is with us and the God who is for us. And here is the end, beginning in verse 24. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. What a sentence. Then Joseph did. Then Joseph did. As I come to the end of my own journey, as you come to the end of yours, I would hope that someone could take a pen in hand and write about our lives. Then she did what God had called her to do. Then he did what God had called her to do. For Joseph, doing what God had called him to do, naming this boy and loving him and leading him and working alongside him, and Olive, Bait, Kimmel, Talit, helping him to learn the word. And here, come to me, come, come to me, come to your Abba, come to your Abba, come to me, come to me. And watching him learn how to walk. All of that stuff took courage, the courage that God had to provide. Living under the shadow of local scandal. The angel went to Mary, the angel went to Joseph, a handful of other people. You know where the angel didn't go? Downtown Nazareth. The angel did not take out an ad in the downtown paper saying, hey, don't be so hard on this young couple. No. What Joseph said yes to cost him. And it needed courage. Then... Joseph did. That's love. Love always has a tax on it. That's love. And in the love of Joseph, we see a reflection of the love of the Father. The one Jesus taught us to pray to. So friends, as we come to a time in our worship where we stand and we sing, we stand and sing what we call a hymn of commitment. It's where we publicly make known what God has been doing in our lives. Today, let me ask you, do you know God as Emmanuel? Is he God that is present in your life? He loved you before you ever thought of him. Do you know God as Savior? Jesus came to save us from our sin and our sins to forgive us and to regularly, day by day, transform us and make us more like himself. Do you know Christ as Emmanuel? Do you know him as Savior? Has God called you to say yes to something that requires your faithfulness, your courage, and your surrender? Will they be able to write, then she did as God commanded? Maybe that needs to begin today. As we stand and sing, come for the glory of God and for your good. David, come and lead us.